You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe who helps people who feel far from God to know Jesus, cultivate freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We're also a diverse tribe who welcomes everyone from bikers to bankers, PhDs to GEDs, every age, race, and walk of life. So whether you're a longtime Christ follower or a spiritual investigator, we hope you're encouraged through our content. Enjoy today's teaching. So today we're going to consider, as Margot said, those who have been hurt by the church, you know, and I can remember as a younger person, I had my fair share of frustrations with organized church, you know, organized religion, whether it's disorganized religion or organized religion. Some churches are uh, in buildings like this where people gather and others are in homes where people get together in a more disorganized fashion. But everywhere you have people gathered, you're going to have problems, right? So we could easily create a blank where we put the word church and we could say hurt by corporate America or hurt by the medical profession or hurt by the school district or hurt by the government. I mean, we all know that wherever there are people, there are going to be problems. But today we're going to consider what's happening in the church. And recently I listened to a popular podcast. It's called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. And it's the story of the demise of a large multi-site megachurch. And then I saw a documentary about Hillsong, a megachurch exposed about all the problems with that church. And perhaps some of you have seen the movie Spotlight about the abuse by Catholic priests within the Catholic church. And we've all been exposed to disgraced pastors and churches. We've had heard stories of sexual abuse and church leaders embezzling money and manipulation and control in their religious environments where people are not allowed to ask questions. And we could go on and on and on and on about some of the problems that we have seen in church that are highlighted in the media. So um, we're not really surprised when we see these things pop up in our news feeds. And as a pastor, I'm thinking to myself, what is going on here? I mean, what's going on? And I know a lot of church people would say, hey, well, it's because the devil doesn't like what the church is doing. And so the devil's always trying to come against churches and stuff. And it's a spiritual warfare issue. And certainly there may be some truth to that. However, I think there could also be something else going on at the same time. And the answer is found in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. Look at it with me. It's where the Bible says, for it is time for judgment to begin with who? God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Could it be that when church leaders like me and church people are damaging other people that God says, I'm going to get involved and I may bring some discipline here for what's going on. And I believe that God gets really upset when people called bruised reeds are damaged. You say, well, what is a bruised reed? Well, look at this definition on screen. Bruised reeds are spiritually and emotionally abused people, wounded and fragile, oftentimes characterized by spiritual brokenness, oftentimes hurt by the sins of other people. When it comes to their own sin, they're remorseful and repentant over their own sins. And a lot of times, bruised reeds are on the verge of giving up spiritually. They're just like, forget about it. If it brings this much pain, I quit. See, so how does Jesus deal with people who are bruised reeds? Let me take you to Matthew chapter 12, verse 20. And it says there, 
a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick of a candle he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. So when there's a person that is bruised, Jesus intends to bring justice there. Now, the reeds that it's talking about were typically picked by, I brought a picture of one of them, by the shepherds of that day, and they would make flutes out of these reeds and make music. And the reason Jesus hates it when a bruised reed is broken is because it can no longer make music as the shepherds intended to do. And so I have a question today for myself and all of us who are a part of this church, and it's simply this. Have I damaged a bruised reed? Have I damaged a bruised reed? I think that's not only a fair question for me personally, but also for you, those of you that are a regular part of our church. And we know that people get bruised in every facet of society, whether it's at work or at school or in the home or in the neighborhood. And we're asking ourselves the question, have we damaged bruised reeds? Now, I want to give you this disclaimer as we go into this conversation, because some of you have had really great church experiences and you've never been you know, damaged or traumatized in any way at a church. And I thank the Lord for that, man. That's so great. But perhaps what God is going to teach you today through his word is how you can serve and help other people who have been hurt by a church. Because if I did a show of hands of how many of you know someone that's been hurt by some organized church or whatever, I bet a lot of hands could go up in the room, wouldn't they? And so perhaps God will equip you for this. And so we're going to look at three stories from the Old Testament of the Bible to see how God views the bruised reeds. In order to tell these three stories, I've enlisted the help of three volunteers. And so volunteers, would you guys come on out here now? And the first one of my volunteers is right here. This is going to be Moses. So would you guys give it up for Moses here as he comes to help me share the story? Okay, so uh, what was Moses all about? Well, if you were to read through the Old Testament of the Bible, you would see that Moses was the leader that God chose to lead the Jewish people out of Egypt. Because remember, the Jewish people were slaves in Egypt. And he rose up Moses. So you're a big deal, Moses. I mean, everybody knows who you are. Uh, You're going to lead the people of, of God out of slavery in Egypt. So They walk in a caravan in a line. So go ahead and walk over here. Okay, that's far enough, Moses. You can stay right here. And behind Moses were all the Jewish people walking in a line, in a caravan of people. But at the back of the line was a group of people that were maybe a little older, perhaps disabled, couldn't get around as well. At the end of the line were the bruised reeds. And here's what happened. There were a group of people called the Amalekites. So when I say Amalekites, I point to you and I want you to say that word or that group, people group out loud. Ready? Here we go. Amalekites. So you know who the Amalekites are? They were led by a guy named Amalek. He was the first leader of the Amalekites. And Amalek and his people, the... Come on, we can keep up here. Okay. Everybody's been fiestying, right? Viva fiesta. So anyways, the they went all Will Smith on Chris Rock is what they did. They attacked all the people 
at the end of the line, the smaller, weaker people at the end of the line. And so now Moses has beef with Amalek because he attacked the people at the end of the line there and he sends out some soldiers to bring justice to the Amalekites who had attacked the bruised reeds at the end of the line. And here's what happened during the battle is that every time Moses would raise his hands, go ahead and raise your hands up there, Moses, the Jewish people would be winning the battle. But if Moses would lower his hands, the Amalekites would start winning the battle. So he had to get his hands up. So go ahead and get your hands back up there. And then he had to have some friends help him hold his hands up because he got tired from holding his hands up for so long. And the rabbis have speculated what was going on there. And they're like, why were these weaker people at the back of the line? It's because leadership went ahead and left them behind and didn't allow them to keep up. And maybe God was saying to Moses, hey, you better lift your hands up and depend upon me and care for the bruised reeds in the back of the line in order to win the victory. And so eventually uh, the forces of Moses were able to overcome the Amalekites. So you can put your hands down now, Moses, and thank you for playing along. Would you guys join me for thanking, uh, join me in thanking Moses? Okay. Now, when Moses defeated the Amalekites that day, I want to show you what God said to him, because Moses wasn't as good as we think. He didn't finish the job as God intended him to do. Look at Deuteronomy 25, 18. It says, when you were weary and worn out, they, the Amalekites, met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. When the Lord your God gives you the, uh, the rest from all the enemies around you in the land he's given you to possess as your inheritance. Look at this. And this is a part of the scripture I have to really struggle with. You shall blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. And God told him, do not forget. That's something we have to wrestle with, isn't it? God said, blot this guy out. Now, it's not like this guy was a great person. Amalek was a murderer and a terrorist. But God was very upset. The reason I'm showing you this is God was very upset that Amalek and the Amalekites would attack the bruised reeds. And God wanted justice for the sin that had been done against the bruised reeds. Now, since Moses didn't completely finish the job, God called upon someone else to do his work of justice. And that's where Saul comes in. Now, Ian is going to take one for the team today and be Saul, King Saul. Now, if you don't know about King Saul, he was a great and mighty king, a good looking guy. But ladies, don't get excited. He's taken. Okay. <laughs> But Saul, but Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest, least influential tribe in Israel. And within tribes, they had these little groups called uh, little, little smaller groups. And, and this smaller group here that he was a part of was called Kish. It was like a clan, if you will. So when I point to you, I want you to say tribe of Benjamin, clan of Kish. Ready? Here we go. Tribe of Benjamin, clan of Kish. Good. And so Saul illustrates for us that God can use someone even from the smallest, least influential group of people. 
God can use people who are not even from privileged or influential families to do his work of justice in the world. So Saul has a problem with a guy named Agag. Agag is the leader of what people group? No. <laughs> Fiesta, man. The Amalekites. Ah, here they are again. It's hundreds of years later after the Amalekites went all Will Smith, you know? And God's still angry, brings in Saul to fight him. And uh, he has beef with Agag, the leader of the Amalekites. I helped you there. And he's a strong guy, so let's show your muscles. Yeah, he's ready to fight. And he wins the fight. And so now this is the victory pose of Saul. So Saul thinks he's all that. But what does God think? To see God had given Saul very specific instructions of how he wanted justice brought. God wants obedience more than just sacrifice. So go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23. It says there, Saul, because you rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. And so, Saul, you're going to have to do the walk of shame to walk off. But as he walks off in shame, would you guys join me in thanking Ian for taking one for the team today? Because in real life, Ian is an amazing dude. But uh, Saul made a mistake there and didn't follow God's instructions for justice. Isn't it interesting how a long time after the bruised reeds have been damaged, God still wants justice, and both Moses and Saul failed to bring justice as God wanted it. So what does God do? He calls on a third person who has opportunity to bring justice. And so in comes Esther. Would you guys welcome Esther here today? Okay. Now, in real life, her name is Kat, but she's going to play Esther today. And Esther, that, by the way, this makes sense to all the ladies in the room because they're like, if a guy can't get it done, God sends in a woman, right? Right? You don't have to clap that much, ladies. I mean, this is, you know, you don't have to remind us. But that's just the way it works sometimes. Now, which tribe is Esther from? Benjamin. Which clan is she from? That's right. She's from Kish, just like Saul was. And you know, her name, Esther, literally means myrtle tree, which is the first tree to bloom in the spring in Israel. And so it's like God is saying, I'm giving the tribe of Benjamin, the clan of Kish, a fresh start, a new opportunity to bring justice for what was done many years ago. Now, who does Esther have beef with? Well, it's a guy named Haman. And which people group is Haman from? The Amalekites. You got it without me even pointing to you. You're so good. And I want to show you what happened in this story, because not only did this guy Haman want to kill one of her relatives named Mordecai, but this guy Haman wanted to wipe out and eradicate the Jews, just like Adolf Hitler. He wanted to kill them all until 
Queen Esther rose up and humbly went to her king and asked for help. And let me show you what happened to Haman, the Amalekite, who wanted to eradicate God's people in Esther chapter 7, verse 9 through 10. It says, a pole reached to the height of 50 cubits stands by Haman's house. He had set it up for Mordecai. The king said, impale him, Haman, on it. So they impaled Haman on a pole. This guy who was going to damage the bruised reeds, God remembers it all these years later. And Haman is impaled on a pole. There are two lessons in this. Number one, never cross a Latina. Okay, I'll tell you that right now. But number two, consider God when you want to damage the bruised reed. See? Would you guys join me in thanking Esther for helping us out today? Thank you. And so here's what concerns me. If I look through the Old Testament of the Bible and I see God like upset that the Amalekites damaged the bruised reed and attacked the people at the end of the line and then hundreds of years later remember it and want to bring justice, what happens today if we hurt people in our church? Do you think God will remember it? concerns me. And I know lots of churches out there are breaking bruise reeds left and right. And I regularly deal with people who have come from dysfunctional religious environments here. And I'm not trying to point the finger at them today. I'm trying to look in the mirror today and ask myself, am I damaging bruised reeds or am I creating an environment in our church where bruised people are damaged? See, and you know, one of the things that I see in my own heart sometimes that I have to eradicate that is the first step towards damaging bruise reeds is judgmentalism. You know what I'm saying? You start doing pretty well and feeling like you're doing pretty good spiritually and that judgmentalism can creep up on you. Can I tell you how I know it's creeping up on me? Because sometimes I'm online and you ever see those clickbait stories? Well, I never fall for clickbait unless it's the religion of the stars. I don't know why that one just intrigues me, right? I want to know what religion the stars are into, right? So because of what I do. And so they always get me on those and I'll click it and I'm into this story. And it's basically the same time, same story every time. It'll show like John Travolta or, you know, uh, Tom Cruise, someone like that. And it's Scientology. And then it'll show Madonna and she's into Kabbalah. And then it'll show like Chris Pratt, Christian. And I'm like, hey, I'm pretty cool with that. I like Chris Pratt, you know, Christian guy. I like that. And then it'll be like Kanye, Christian. And I so want to like Kanye, but you know he's going to say something crazy, you know, at some point. So I was like, oh, Kanye, dude, zip it. Uh, but then I'll, I'll continue. I read this one article and it's got like, uh, it shows these other people that are categorized as Christian. And it's like Justin Bieber, and Miley Cyrus, okay? Now, I'm just going to tell you what was really in my... It's not right what I was thinking, but I'm just going to tell you what I was thinking. I'm thinking, no, we don't want them to represent us, you know? Come on, Bieber. I mean, they had to bleep out half your song on the Grammys because there was so much vulgar language in it. And Bieber, quit with wearing Crocs, okay? I don't like Crocs, okay? We don't want to wear 
the Crocs. Can't this guy afford a decent pair of sneakers? I mean, come on, you know, take out the Crocs. Miley. Stop with the twerking, Miley. We don't like the twerking, okay? <laughs> but I wonder if they are wounded in some ways and it causes them to act out. And I'm not here to position Miley Cyrus and Justin Bieber as some abused, you know, people. But I'm here to look at my own heart and say, am I being a little judgmental towards them? Because I know where judgmentalism can lead. And I should know better because one of the key stories of the New Testament of the Bible is the story of the woman caught in adultery. You seen this story? In case you hadn't, I'll tell you what happened. There was this woman and she was caught red-handed having sex with a man who was not her husband. And the religious guys drug her up before Jesus. They threw her down the ground and these guys had rocks in their hands and they were ready to stone her to death. They're going to throw rocks at her until she died. And then Jesus speaks up and he says, all of you guys without sin, throw the first stone. And all of those men from oldest to the youngest dropped their stones, dropped their rocks and walked away. And Jesus is alone with the woman. And he says to her, where are all your accusers? And then he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. See? So he brought grace when he said, neither do I condemn you. But he also brought truth when he said, go and sin no more. You know, there are some people that don't like the truth. And if someone doesn't like the truth, they're not a bruised reed. They're not hurt by the church. They're hurt by the truth of God's word and the teachings of Jesus. See, so we got to have truth because if there's no such thing as truth, there's really no such thing as grace either, is there? But where we have to get it right is on the front end there where we extend grace to people and we don't judge people. See, now the question over the years for theologians has been, what was Jesus writing in the dust? Because see, before they were about to stone her, he was writing in the dust. And a lot of people would say, well, he was writing the names of the men in the audience, the men with the rocks, who had committed adultery too. And I think that's a pretty good explanation. The best explanation I heard was from a Bible teacher named Ray Vanderlaan. And he says those Jewish men would have been thinking in terms of the Old Testament of the Bible. So where is there an Old Testament verse about someone writing in the dust? And he would point back to Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 13. And I'm going to read from the complete Jewish version of the Bible. And here's what it says. Hope of Israel, Adonai, all who abandoned you will be ashamed. Those who leave you will be, look at that, inscribed in the dust. Because they have abandoned Adonai, name for God, the source of living water. And you know what this means for a Jewish person? If your name is written in the dust in that arid part of the world, the winds will blow and smooth over what is written there and erase it. So basically it's saying it will blot out your name. And to Jewish people, their name is a big deal. 
And if your name is blotted out, so is your significance. And so we see this in other places, don't we? We've already seen this. In fact, when we look back for the first time that the bruised reeds were damaged there at the end of the line with Moses, God said to Moses, blot out their names. And many, many years later in the New Testament of the Bible, we see Jesus saying to a group of religious people, hey, I know this woman sinned, but if you damage this bruised reed, this woman, I will blot out your name, is what God is saying. And so the question for our church is, how do we treat the bruised reeds? Do we put bruised reeds in the rear? How do we treat the poor the elderly, the chemically imbalanced, the mentally challenged, people with marriage struggles, those who've committed sexual sins, those with criminal records, are bruised reeds hurt by our church? And will they cry out to God? And will God be upset with us? And as a pastor, I know that I've unintentionally hurt people over the years. Have you ever heard that old adage, hurt people hurt people? When someone's hurt, they hurt, hurt other people. Well, shouldn't it also be true that healed people can heal people? So we want to be a place where we're being healed. And one of the things that I know for certain is that pastors get hurt by people just like everyone else. And what I've seen time and time again is pastors who have been hurt themselves end up hurting other people out of their own woundedness. I can remember some years ago, I had this friend in the church and he was like a close friend and we hung out all the time and he was at my house and we would hang out all the time. And then one day he just wouldn't respond to a phone call or a text message. And I texted again, are we okay? Is everything cool? Have I done anything to offend you? Radio silence. And it turns out he ghosted not just me, but all the other friends that he had in church and gave no explanation. And it kind of hurts and it brings a rejection wound, right? So I know what it feels like as a pastor to get hurt. I've had, you know, people do all kinds of stuff, say all kinds of things, you know. I know of pastor friends that have had their board of directors and church people be hostile with them and all that. And pastors get hurt just like everyone else. And so we have to come to a place of healing in our own lives. Um, but, you know, the point of this service is not so much to give pastors and religious leaders excuses for what they've done wrong to hurt other people, but it's to validate your feelings for the ways that you've been hurt. You can't just get over it, you know? Your feelings are valid. And when we come to church, we expect something better, don't we? And here's what I know, is that many years ago, I hurt a lot of people, and I've been real honest with you guys over the years about my moral failures from many years ago. I know what it feels like to be placed upon a pedestal where people looked up to you and then to disappoint them and hurt them. And so I'm not coming to you today from some high horse of moral authority, but I'm coming to you today with as much humility as I can muster up. And here's what I believe that the degree to which I've humbled myself, dealt with my own wounds, and forgiven is the degree to which I can heal other people. And I think that's true of you as well. Is the degree to which 
you can humble yourself and deal with your own wounds and forgive is the degree to which you can heal other people. That's not just true in church, but it's true in every facet of our lives, whether it's at work or school or in the home or in the neighborhood, you know? But today is about validating you and your feelings and what you've been through in religious environments. And what I want to do today is a little exercise that I hope will be encouraging for you. I want to say to you what the religious leader who hurt you should say if he or she were here today. And so I want to ask you on behalf of pastors, priests, religious leaders of every sort, I was so wrong for hurting you. Will you please forgive me? I'm so sorry for heaping unnecessary guilt and shame upon you. Will you please forgive me? I was wrong for placing a heavy burden of religious rules on you without lifting a finger to help you grow and to help you to understand. Will you forgive me? I made you feel like your healing didn't happen because you didn't have enough faith. And that was wrong. I cared more about your money than your soul. And that was so wrong. I should not have placed myself on a pedestal, but I should have humbled myself before you and served you rather than treating you like minions. Can you forgive me for that? I made myself look morally superior publicly, but privately I was dealing with sins of my own. Will you forgive me for that? Will you forgive me for using guilt to manipulate you? I kicked you while you were down and that was so wrong. I should have had the emotional capacity to deal with the complex emotional issues you were dealing with, but I didn't. Can you forgive me for that? I was wrong for being controlling. I took out my own personal hurts on you, and that was wrong. Will you please forgive me? I used abusive words towards you, and it hurt you and harmed you, and I'm so wrong for doing that. Can you find it in your heart to forgive me? And look what I want to do today is transition our vision and focus away from me or any other religious leader to Jesus who will never, ever disappoint you. He'll never leave you or forsake you, Jesus. He's the focus of our worship. Some of you have never started a relationship with God through him. And I think today would be an appropriate day to do that. So how about we bow for prayer? And as we bow before God in in an attitude of prayer, if you would like to understand how to have a relationship with God, one facet of the gospel is what's called propitiation. And that just means when Jesus died on the cross, he was dying there to take the penalty for your sins. And then when he rose again from the dead, he was like giving you new life. When he rose again from the dead, he was causing God not to look at your sin anymore, but to look at the perfection that Jesus accomplished for you on the cross. All the punishment went on Jesus. All the benefit comes to us. 
So if you'd like to receive a relationship with him today, just say something like this. Look, God, I know I've sinned and screwed some stuff up, but right now, the best I know how I choose to believe that Jesus died on that cross for me and God, I welcome you into my life. As we continue in prayer, if you've been hurt by any church or organized religion, would you peek up at me real quick? Anybody? Yeah. Fair number of us. Yeah. I'm so sorry that happened to you. I'm so sorry for the way that made you feel. I'm so sorry that you were hurt. And I know that it may mean, you know, maybe today you don't feel like forgiving. And I understand that. And so you do that at your own pace. But if today you're ready to forgive the person that hurt you, I want to ask you to do that. You may not be ready yet, but can I tell you that unforgiveness and bitterness is like drinking rat poisoning poison and expecting the rat to die and what they did to you was not right but I don't want you to be affected by it and so if you're ready today just pray something like this God I'm not saying that what that person did to me was right because it wasn't but right now the best I understand it and the with the most forgiveness I can muster up I choose to forgive that person for the wrong that was done to me. Because God, I want the forgiveness that comes, the, the healing that comes through forgiveness. So please, Jesus, heal my heart, a bruised reed, today, so that I can be a source of your healing in the world. Thank you for what you're doing in all of our hearts today. And we pray these things in your name, Jesus, everyone said, amen, amen. Well, thank you guys for doing that exercise with me. And I know that that was difficult for some of you. And I just want to encourage you and applaud you for your courage to engage with the exercise there. Now, as we wrap up today, as Margot said earlier, we're having Easter services over at Sunset Station. Now it's called the SB. And we've got these little invites to, you know, invite friends and family if you'd like to. They're in the lobby out at the Tribe Connect. So you can grab one of these invites. And you know, if you just prayed to begin a relationship with Christ today or at any time, the first step of obedience to Jesus is to be baptized. And so if you'd like to be baptized at Easter services, we'd be more than happy to, to take care of that for you so they can get you registered at the Tribe Connect tent as well. Now, one of the ways that we worship God is through our financial generosity. And you know, we try and not be weird about money in church. And the way we describe it, it's kind of like, you know, a free will tithing or generosity or giving, you know, because you are smart enough and astute enough to know that uh, all the ministries and things that happen around the church, you know, cost money to do. But we're not people who want you to give money out of guilt or obligation but out of overflow and gratefulness, right? So my wife and I, because we're so grateful to God for the good that he's done in our lives, we want to give out of the overflow from that and just say, thank you, Jesus, that you would help such as us, 
you know, to have a relationship with you. So there are four ways to get that done since we don't pass the plates and all that here at City Tribe Church. You can mail those tithes and offerings in or text message them or at the giving stations located near the exit of the theater, or you can go online at citytribe.church slash tithes. So before you guys worship through generosity, let's stand together. And if you're near your crew and you want to put an arm around them or join a hand with someone next to you, that's Cool. Remember, don't be creepy guy with the single women next to you, you know. Don't just say, hey, baby, benediction, grab your hand. Um, It's not like that. So anyways, receive these words over you as you guys take off. Dear brothers and sisters, may you walk from here. Some of you were bruised reeds, and now you are healed. Go from here, not as hurt people who are going to hurt people, but walk from this place as healed people who can now, by the power of God and his spirit, heal others. So go from this place and be a source of the healing of Jesus in this world that desperately needs it. Go from here, healing for his church. You guys have an amazing week, and we'll see you guys next week at Easter. Peace. We're glad you were a part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, Check the City Tribe YouTube channel, iTunes, SoundCloud, Instagram, Facebook, or our website, citytribe.church. May you go from this podcast knowing that you are loved.